Oh, my 
So we've been working through the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, last week we started a three-part sermon on the land. Okay, and we talked last week about the promised land, and today's sermon could have been entitled "The Bridge Land," but that doesn't really make any sense in common English, and so I didn't do that. This is called Graceland. Okay, not Graceland, the mansion of Elvis Presley. That's a different place altogether. Uh, but this is Graceland, meaning the land that God has given us by grace uh, and the land in which grace reigns. I want to talk just briefly about a phrase that people have used and see if you actually know where it comes from or what it means. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, living on borrowed time? Okay, now do you know where it comes from? Okay, somebody tell me what it means or what we use it for. Okay, kind of like that. Yeah, so like people say uh, they had a close brush with death maybe. <coughs> And a mo motorcycle accident almost got killed, whatever. And then after that, they say they're living on borrowed time. Or uh, there's a philosopher that once said that, that it, it occurs that people get so old that they're basically not really able to do much of anything anymore and they're required to be taken care of by their loved ones. Uh, they're in a, in a hospital bed, can't be taken care of by, you know, other than by constant intensive care, that kind of thing. And they say that person is living on borrowed time, meaning they will soon die. Okay? So it's kind of a dark... Thing, kind of a dark phrasing that we say is living on borrowed time. But interestingly enough, uh, it comes from a completely different place. Um, uh, twice brought back into language, once in roughly the 1600s, that was like 1655, um, in England, they changed the calendar. And what they did was they took 11 days of the month of May and added it to the month of April. I think I've got those days right. Uh, yeah, so they took 11 days of the month of May and bumped it back to the month of April, thereby making the months of roughly the same length. And uh, what they then would say that those days were borrowed days, borrowed from the month of May to add them back in the month of April or borrowed from the month of April to add it previously to be in the month of May. I don't know which, but bottom line is the first 11 days of May as borrowed days given back into the month of April. And that's where people would say borrowed days. Um, and the, there's a quote that says, so it is usual among us to ascribe unto March borrowed days from April or to April borrowed days from May, right? However, that's not where it came into our vocabulary from. It later came into our vocabulary uh, in 1898 when the English dialect dictionary defined the phrase and said, a man who lives on borrowed time lives on trespass ground except that it did not then go on to describe what trespass ground is. That's getting a little bit more like what you're talking about. Okay, Living on borrowed time means that this time does not really belong to us. It really belongs to God. Our time, our efforts, where we live, all the things that we're doing do not really belong to us. They really belong to God. And so to say that we live on borrowed time like we should have died by now uh, is a pretty trivial use when we're actually talking about the fact that all people could well have died going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we all, according to what the Bible says, are worthy of death. So I want you to bear that in mind then as we get into the text. I will tell you that this will go by fairly quickly. I didn't practice it quite as much as I might like to, but I'm, I'm thinking this is a fairly short sermon compared to what I normally do. So we'll see how that goes. So keep your thinking caps on so you don't miss anything. And we are now in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Woo! Amen! Thank you, Miss Chris. I guarantee you she's hooting and hollering in her house right now. Miss her in the room. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
listen to this. Now it shall be, if you will diligently, that means if you'll work at it, obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. A couple things in there to notice real quick before we go on. Number one, he's saying if you'll do what you're supposed to do, God will set you up above the nations of the earth. Okay. Now that's uh, key because they don't deserve that. Right? They're just they're ordinary people. They were in uh, they were in stuck in Egypt crying out for help and. God said, I'm going to take that nation there. They don't deserve this, but I'm going to take that nation there, as I, mind you, as I have promised, and we talked about that last week. I'm going to take that, that last week, but take that nation there, bring them out, and make a people for myself. And said, if you will follow my commands, I will set you up, God says, as a nation over or above all the nations of the earth. And then he says that all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. So there's an interesting language there, isn't it? The blessings that God is promising, not just the ones that we're about to read, but in general, the blessings that go with his grace are chasing you. They are pursuing you. And we'll come back and talk about that later as well. Verse 3, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. So it doesn't matter where you are in the land, in the city, country, wherever you are, you'll be blessed. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. And so in other words, everything that all your work tending to the flock and the land then produces will be blessed. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. So your basket is where you store stuff on the way to the larder or whatever, right? And your kneading bowl is where you work with the stuff to make it ready to eat, all right? So you're going to be blessed in the bringing in of the product and you're going to be blessed in the preparing the product for consumption. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. So whichever way you're headed right now, you'll be blessed. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. That is surely not good news for the enemies of God's people, but those enemies that rise up against God's people will be defeated before them. God will cause it. They shall come out against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. So they gotta, they're going to come together in a group to stand against us and or against God's people, and then they will flee scattered. Their disunity will divide them. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And so notice that not only are we getting all these blessings, but here he says the people of the earth will recognize God's people as different from others and they will fear God's people. 11. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your beast, and in the produce of your ground, and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. In other words, they would be producing so much that they would have an abundance that they could give to others, 
but they wouldn't need anything from anyone. 13. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. You only shall be above, and you shall not be underneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully. In other words, if they would be very intentional about their following the commands of God, God would put them in a reigning position, a position of being in charge, a leading position, rather than a following position or a position of being owned. And it says, And do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now I'm fully aware that this passage of scripture could come off like a lot like a health and wealth gospel passage. It would be very easy for us to say that because it is grace, bless you, because it is grace, we will always be blessed. Everything that we will do will be blessed. We'll have blessed produce this, blessed produce that. We'll have more kids, we'll have better kids, we'll have more money from our jobs, better money from our jobs, better positions, better recognition in the world. All of that could be found in that passage of scripture. But to preach it as a health and wealth message would be to divorce it from what is actually being displayed. Number one, that God is calling us to obedience. This is not a message about obedience, but clearly God says, if you will be diligent, he says in the first part, if you will be careful, he says in the last part, if you will be diligent and careful to follow that which I have commanded you, then he would do the things that he said he would do. Okay? So there is a requirement of faithfulness and obedience to God's people, which is not found in the health and wealth gospel. Okay? This truth that God is laying out for them required them to be his people. If you'll recall from last week, we talked about the promised land and how they promise creates a people. And now God says, if you will actually be the way my people are supposed to be, I will tell you what I'm going to do for you. First and foremost, that notice that grace of God lifts up a people. Grace of God lifts up a people. Graceland is occupied by a people lifted up. Okay? This Israel was slaves in Egypt. Previously to that, they were essentially nomads. They wandered around everywhere. Uh, they would sink a well occasionally, but by and large, they did not have a settled home ever. No land. No people identity, right? They could trace their lineage back to certain key forefathers, but no identity of people. In fact, even when they would come into the promised land, one of the tribes would be split down between the two sons of Joseph. And so even the 12 tribes were not unified at all previously because one of them was living completely in Egypt as a descendants of Joseph, and the other 11 were living in Goshen in Egypt as descendants of their forefathers. So the tribes were not even united in any way, shape, or form. And God would take a people disunited, scattered throughout Egypt, haul them out of a nation that had so many gods and so many powerful gods and so many chariots of steel and warriors in bronze armor and spears and swords by the tens of thousands. And God would call them out of that nation and make of them one nation and then give them a land. Listen to me, that is grace. In Hosea, uh, the prophet Hosea, in 11.1, 1, he basically says, and out of Egypt I called my son. So God would not only haul them out of Egypt and make them a new land, unified together, where they were completely disconnected previously and in slavery, and previous to that, nomads wandering around having no place. Not only would God call them out, but he didn't just call them his people, he called them his son. And just as today we can be sons and daughters of the living God, 
they would be sons and daughters of the living God. But they were not getting it because they had a bloodline. They were not getting it because they were faithful in the disciplines or in work or whatever. They were getting it because of grace. God was giving them grace. It can be confused because it says, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And so we're thinking, God is making a deal. This is the deal. If I will follow the rules, then God will set me up victorious. And the truth is, if you follow the rules, some of them are so good, and they make so much sense, that you will actually prosper in just following the rules of God. And there are people that do that. They tithe their whole life with never having a relationship to Jesus Christ, and their finances are blessed. The people in Malachi did not have a relationship with God. They were being corrected about not tithing. And even when they began tithing, and the, that the prophet Malachi was talking to, they didn't suddenly become rich. right? But they were blessed over the, over the years and over the generations if they were faithful, and they were not blessed if they were not. But they didn't have a proper relationship with God either. The point is, you can follow the rules... And you may be blessed and get certain things. They, they do make a lot of sense, right? For example, if you treat your body as a holy temple, working out, eating right, drinking plenty of water, making sure you get plenty of sleep, right? Staying away from any more medications than you absolutely need to. And so if you treat and you don't get into addictive substances and all of that, your body will do better. Nothing says you won't get hit in a car accident at 40 and, and be paralyzed for life, right? But your body will do a lot better because you're following the logical steps of recognizing your body as a temple. But if you want your body to actually be a temple, you get that from God and you get it by grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot trade for it. Graceland is filled with the people that God lifts up. Yes, God promised to lift people up. Yes. And here he reminds you, if I have lifted you up, if I have provided you with grace, then you have a responsibility to behave a certain way. That's true. My child behaves a certain way. A dad will say to his son, we don't do that, son. And what he means is, this activity that you're engaging in here, it's inappropriate. We don't want this to, be, to happen. Right? I don't do it. I don't want you to do it. Another dad will say, son, we don't do that. And he'll go over there and do what it is that he does, even though his son's not supposed to do it. In many cultures, it's perfectly okay for anybody over the age of about 16 to spew as many cuss words as they want. But anybody under the age of 16 that uses a foul language might get backhanded by their mother. You're not old enough to talk like that. The standards are varied from, from people to people. I get that. God is saying, be diligent and careful to follow my commands because I have lifted you up you are my people, and I will show you how I have lifted you up, and I will bless you in all things. Now, our church has been immensely blessed in many, many things. In fact, and I'm not judging anybody, and I'm not telling any stories, but if you were, if you were God, and you could look at the folks that have struggled in various areas or whatever, they have struggled by choices that they have made in some, sometimes. Sometimes the choices that they have made have kept them from going to the places where God is taking them. Grace lifts up a people. You may not believe in grace. You may not believe that God wanted to save you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. That would be a mistake. You may not believe that God wants to lift you up from wherever you are and make of you something that will bring him great glory. Now that can include martyrdom, which is a terrible thought, right? It can include 
persecution for witnessing or struggling being a missionary in a foreign country where you don't have things like cell service or a grocery store within 50 miles. You got to grow your own food, right? Where you're dodging soldiers with AK-47s to tell people about Jesus or sneaking Bibles behind enemy lines. That might be the kind of thing that God calls you to, but that would be an amazing thing to be called to. God's grace lifts up a people. The brother of Jesus, James, wrote it this way in chapter 4, the book of, in the book of James. He wrote, Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And this was written to Christians, to people who were claiming to be Christians anyway. And so what he's saying to us is, listen, I have given you grace. I have lifted you up. Behave like somebody I have lifted up. Oh, you continue in sin, though I have lifted you up? Mourn. Realize that you're blackening our family name. God's grace lifts up a people. And in lifting up a people, he, he can reasonably have expectations of how we as a people ought to behave. Second thing to see in there is that the blessings of grace pursue the people of grace. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a wicked man runs when nobody's chasing him. The truth is, we all feel like there's something sort of chasing us in the human race. Poverty, bankruptcy, disease, age. Not about any one particular person, but when I was raising my daughters, uh, Amalia and Alicia, I told them, I said, up until a certain point, I said, you know, we don't wear makeup. You don't wear makeup. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, why do people wear makeup? You know why people wear makeup, right? There's really two reasons. I mean, if, unless you count geisha girls, right? But other than that, there's really two reasons. They, they wear makeup to look older. They wear makeup to look younger. Now, it may be that they're covering a certain facial blemish or something, you know, that they want to, maybe they're going on camera and they want the camera to reflect on them better. But in their case, it was they were wearing makeup to look older. And you don't need to do that. And then women get older, and they wear makeup to look younger. And the truth is, they probably don't really need to do that. They can. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing sinful about it. But my wife, for example, she'll come to me at the end of the day, and she'll say, oh, forgot. I totally forgot to put my makeup on today, once in a blue moon. And I'll say, you looked beautiful all day. All day. And I'm not judging anybody for using makeup, but what I'm saying to you is the blessings of grace are pursuing us and we're concerned about the things of this life and we take certain steps. I'll give you another example. People uh, let their health decline, right? We get overweight, we get uh, high blood pressure, we uh, have struggle focusing because we malnourished ourselves, eating too much junk, things like that. I did that, I have done that, I've done it in the last couple of weeks, okay? So the point is we do that, and then we go, oh my goodness, I've got to work really hard, and for a period of time we diet, we work out, we do everything that we're supposed to do, and if we have faithfulness and strength, we stay the course until we get our health where we want it to be. But the truth is, 
Why did we need to do that? We needed to do it because we first disparaged or let go that, that which was in us. We first, our body's burning fuel all the time. Everything you eat is burning. And anything that isn't good for it, good for you, it's either storing in fat to protect you or putting it out in excrement, one or the other, to get rid of it. Your body has a natural ability to maintain you at whatever weight you're supposed to be. And it might not be what the doctor says is your ideal weight, but the bottom line is we have that. Then we go back and work really hard to catch up. Here's what's happening in the world, folks. The, the blessings of God's grace are pursuing God's people all the time. And God's people are literally running away from those blessings or playing hide and seek from those blessings. Part of that is because we have mistaken what the blessings are. We think the blessings are the trappings of this world. Praise of human beings, more income, more friendly experiences with people to saying good things to us. Are we saying good things? Laughing and joking, reminiscing about whatever until the middle of the night. These are not the blessings that God is talking about. Yes, they're blessings. These things, Galatians 6 says, were given to us to enjoy, and that's fine. But guess what happens when you over-enjoy them? While you're over-enjoying the blessings of this life, you're running away from the blessings of grace that God has given you. You understand? Many, many years ago now, oh, 22-ish years ago, the Lord convicted me to give up um, first soda and then candy. Now, I'm not saying anybody needs to do that. This was in my own life. In fact, if I could, at this point in time, eat an occasional piece of candy, I would love to do it if I would eat, you know, whatever. So you feel free to do as you would, but I just want to use it as an illustration for the moment. After I gave up the soda... I got to eating a lot of candy. The candy tasted really good, and I was using it to supplement to get around the caffeine. And then after I gave up the candy, the next weekend, I had like a cupcake on Friday night. And I said, that's the best tasting cupcake I've ever had in my life. And I didn't make the connection. And then about noon, 1 o'clock or something, we had brownies. I had a brownie, and I said, that's the best tasting brownie I've ever had in my life. And you'll hear me say as I sit down, yeah, in fact, the day before yesterday, I had smoked pork loin. That's the best tasting meat I've ever had in my life. Okay, And you'll hear me say that on occasion, that it's the best. Well, I can taste what I eat now. When I used to drink a lot of soda, and I drank a lot of soda. You may not drink as much soda ever in your life as I used to drink. I would kill two, two liters of soda in a day, every day. I'd eat a bag of donuts. And also, when I gave up the soda, I was eating over a pound of hard candy every day. You may never do that in your life. I hope that's never your situation. But the bottom line is, I was eating so much sweets that my taste buds could not taste the food. I couldn't eat a salad. To me, lettuce had no taste. If you can, you know, like, I eat lettuce and it has no taste. Well, it's probably because your taste buds are not doing what they're supposed to be doing for whatever reason. So I could eat salad, lettuce, and it would go, that's nothing. It literally had no taste to me at all. And after I gave up the soda and the candy, it started having taste. Right? Now, I'm not saying that you need to make adjustments like that. What I'm saying is we get to, uh, involved in things and we miss the thing that is pursuing us. Right? We chase relationships with people and miss out on the prime relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God is trying to say something you, to you, wants to say something to you, wants to do something in your life that is powerful. It is a blessing that accompanies His grace. You understand that all of us, any of us here, could be missing a significant Holy Spirit gift. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, that we're spiritually gifted. And you could be missing the chief Holy Spirit gift that God has authored in you from the moment you were saved. You might be acting in your Holy Spirit gifts in other areas. You might say have four, 
and you have three of them firing on all cylinders, right? How's that work out for you, RJ, if you got a four-cylinder car firing on three cylinders, and all three cylinders are working perfectly? How's that car run? The fourth one doesn't work. It'll run, but it won't run right. Exactly. It'll run, but it won't run right. There are blessings that come with the grace that are literally pursuing us, and we're not experiencing them because we're busy dwelling on the ones that we already have, considering ourselves to be well enough off, counting our worldly blessings, and you should do that because you need to be grateful to God. I'm not saying that, but we get so wrapped up in that that we don't recognize that God is trying to do something more. And then, sometimes, God will do something to get our attention. When I was taking my revival class at uh, Liberty Seminary, they said, this is how revival happens. God's people faithfully do what God's people are supposed to do. Then God shakes up the world to make the world pay attention for a moment. They look and they look at God's people and they see them still faithfully doing what they're supposed to be doing and they flock to the church, flock to God's people, flock to God because here's a people faithfully doing what they were doing. The world shook and the people were faithfully doing what they're supposed to be doing and the world looks at those people and comes and says, well, what do you got that we don't got? And that's the primary way that revival starts. Not the only way, but it's the primary way that revival starts. I submit to you, God does the same thing in a microcosm in an individual. God will give you trials and troubles and tribulations. He will put you. Listen, if you won't listen to God, he'll take you to the place that you're in a pile of ashes, scraping your sword with a shard, with your wife standing over you saying, just curse God and die, to get you to understand that you are not God, and you don't get to say no to God. You don't get to say no to the blessings of God that come with grace. You don't get to put him down or back him off. He's God. He created you, orchestrated the borders of your life, set you up to live where you live. He's God. He wants to do the blessings that come with the grace. And I understand sometimes those blessings are suffering. Sometimes they are trials and tribulations. Sometimes they are martyrdom. Sometimes they are hours and hours and hours of studying your Bible. Or worse, a, a Bible dictionary of theology. When I was in seminary and God had called me to preach and I knew it, I had to read this dictionary of theology they gave us, a book that's like five times this thick and hardcover, and I, and I couldn't stay awake. I just couldn't do it. You can ask Sherry. I would take the book that I had to read, and I had to read about 10 hours a week. I can't, outside preparing for my sermon, I struggle with 10 hours a week reading my Bible. And this stuff was, and so-and-so, plethora, John said this uh, 3,000 years ago about this, and and stuff about people that you don't care about, what they said about it 2,000 years, who cares what they said, right? Boring and written in boring ways and big liturgical language that I could barely understand. And so I would take the book and I would walk laps in my side yard around the perimeter of my side yard reading the book. And then I got tired after a while walking laps around my side yard and I would walk the sidewalk in front of the shopping center and the big, I walked to Bob Evans and I would sit there and I would eat Whatever I ordered, I would eat and read the book. And then after I got done eating, I would get up and I would walk back home reading the book. You see me walking up and down Woodville Road reading the book. Right? It was the most boring time of my life. But I had to do it. I was required to do it. Because that's where God took me. And it was what God wanted me to do. Right? And I knew it was. And, the, and that was what the professor assigned. And I knew I was supposed to do the work and honor God with my education. And you can list on all the reasons. But the bottom line is I would walk for hours a day while reading. Something, and my legs hurt, and my feet hurt, and I got tired. But I had to keep moving because I couldn't stay awake reading this boring material unless I did, and I had to read it. 
Sometimes God's blessings will take you to a place where you don't really want to be if you're judging it in the standard of the blessings of this world. But if you judge it in the standard of the blessings of Graceland, do you want your basket to be full? Do you want your kneading bowl to be blessed? Do you want your offspring to be blessed? Do you want people that hear from you to be blessed? Do you want the world to look at you and go, what does he have that I might want to ask in order that I might have what he has? Do you want that? If you want that, then you've got to stop running from the blessings of grace and accept that. And sometimes it sucks. I'm here to tell you right now, and this will hurt for some of us, the most traumatic painful, sorrowful experience that you've ever experienced in your life, the thing that you went through that is the worst thing that you ever went through, what lasted a minute, a day, years, whatever, that thing, that is one of the blessings of God in your life. And the comfort that God comforts you with over that blessing, you will then be able to comfort others. But are you running from the blessings of grace? You realize God says, okay, I saw you there. You went through the crap. You went through the sludge. You were stuck there. I saw you there. And by grace, I reached in there and I pulled you out of there. And I'm prepared to set you up as a people so that everyone can see, so that people will listen to you. They can be a person of character so that people will go, oh, he spoke. Josh spoke. What did Josh say? I want to know what Josh said. Right? Ricky spoke. What did he say? What, did, what does Ricky have to say about this? People call you up on the phone and go, hey, you know, i got this going on in my life. What do you have to say about that? God wants to take you from the mire and lift you up on the pedestal. You're like, I don't want to be on a pedestal. Don't put me on a pedestal. Yes, that would be an okay place to be because there you can very clearly give God all the glory. Right? But somewhere in between there, running from the blessings that God has orchestrated out of that nastiness, out of that terrible thing that you went through, running from the blessings that come out of that, bemoaning your situation, complaining, whining, frustrated, letting, clamping down on your anger so that when something happens, you blow up, all of that, instead of letting the blessings that God wants you to give you out of that thing, that's when God can set you up. And you will become the head instead of the tail. Listen to me. If you're still wrapped up in suffering, if there are still things bothering you, if you're still hurting because of experiences that you went through in your life, then you need to understand you are running from the blessings of God. You need to stop. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. You need to recognize that that trial and tribulation that you've gone through is fueling you. It is making it possible for you to be the person that you are today. It is giving you strength that somebody else does not have. And you can receive the blessings of the grace that God intends for you. In the meantime, as a, as a child of God, be found doing the things that God has given you to do. Remember the example of revival that I gave you? God's people are found faithful. They follow what God has taught them to do. The world shakes. But instead of being shaken... God's people are found faithful doing what God has called them to do. They worship, they give, they, they practice the spiritual disciplines, they exercise their spiritual gifts the best they know how, right? But they're prepared. When we were uh, at Cedar Street Baptist Church and, uh, in Michigan, and 9-11 happened, and the Twin Towers came crashing down, and Americans began to realize that they were not safe, that on American soil, they were not safe. Terrorists perpetrated terrorist activity and people felt terror in their hearts. And they looked to the church 
And our church had 125 visitors the following Sunday. Can you imagine? A church of 250 people. We were packed. People were standing at the walls. No, set, no chairs to sit in on Sunday morning. Second service is when we usually went. People were standing there. And the pastor preached the sermon that he had scheduled almost a year before. He said nothing about the Twin Towers. He said nothing about the terrorist attacks. He, he did not preach a message that was expressly the gospel or salvation or about the cross. The gospel was hinted at, but it was, it was out of Malachi. In fact, this breaks my heart to this day. I love the man. He was a very godly man, but I don't know, I don't know what happened that day. Maybe the Lord was doing it, so I'm not judging. But here's what happened. The sermon was about we need money to build the new building. When the world comes looking, they need to stand you sitting on fir- see you standing on firm ground. See you're okay. See you're studying your Bible. See you're reading. See you're praying. See you're serving. See you're giving. See you're faithfully following the ministry lead of God. Doing those things. When you're rocked and still rocking, the rest of the world, when it's rocked, is trying to figure out how to be rocking. And they will look to you and your voice will resound. Right now, they come to us sometimes and we're like, Oh, yeah, I had a rough day too. My foot hurts, my pain, my, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I, I'm hurting in my relationships, I'm hurting in my finance. What are you doing? They're coming to you complaining about their life in the world. You should be talking about Jesus, talking about the blessings of grace, talking about how, yeah, that used to bother me, but it doesn't bother me. When I don't have enough money now, and I'm not saying this is me, but I'm saying this is where we should be. When I don't have enough money now, that doesn't bother me because I know no amount of money can buy the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. When my health is failing me, that doesn't bother me like it used to because no amount of health is going to get me into heaven. When I, you understand the body you're in today dies and, and then you get a new body when you go to heaven, right? So you've already messed this one up pretty good. You've used it, worn it out by now pretty good. When you go to heaven, you're going to get a new one. That's one of the blessings of grace. Unless, of course, you're still running from the blessings of grace when that time comes, and then you might have a problem. Because what if the blessings of grace don't catch up? Grace lifts up a people, and that people is responsible to behave a certain way. The blessings of grace pursue the people of grace, and God will use things in your life to get you to stop running away from the blessings. And that's where Romans 8.28 says, when it says, all those who love the Lord are called according to His purpose, all things work together for their good. The reason that is is because you can't imagine. You're like, I don't understand how this thing that that's God's letting me go through or what I'm going through right now can be used for my good, but God can. And maybe it's just designed to get you to stop for a moment, to think for a moment, to accept for a moment that God is pouring out into you some kind of a blessing and you've been going, nah, it's okay. My cup is full enough. And God sends something to rock your world a little bit to get you to go, okay, God, what is it you want to do next? The blessings of grace pursue the people of grace. Now, the devil, like a lion, stalks around seeking whom he may devour, which he can only do because the people of grace sometimes you know, kind of hide toward the edges because they don't want to be a martyr. They don't want to be used too much. They don't want God to use the painful experiences. They just want to forget about it. I went to... Uh, refocusing at East Toledo Baptist Church not long after we moved back to Toledo, and I sat across from a man who was a deacon, had been a deacon for over 20 years. And one of the activities we're supposed to do was look at our lives and what we'd been through, painful experiences, good experiences, whatever, 
and then see what God was doing through those things. And then as a church, we were going to combine all that and decide what, our, what God was doing in our church. And this man who was a deacon, had been a deacon for over 20 years, said to our little group, there's like six of us in there, he said, I'm not going to do this activity. I said, what do you mean you're not going to do this activity? And I was leading our little group, even though I was probably not qualified. And he said, the things that I've gone through in my life are so bad, I don't like to think about them, and nobody needs to know them. And so I'm not going to tell you what happened in my life back before I got saved or after I got saved or whatever. I'll tell you what's going on right now. That's it. I don't look into the past. And I thought to myself, there's a man who hasn't dealt with his past. He's not free. And if you're not free from your past, if you're not free to use your past for God's glory, then maybe it's because you don't realize that grace lifts up a people and the blessings of grace pursue the people of grace. The last thing to see here then is that grace sets apart a people. Interestingly enough, as James said, there is a greater grace. There's kind of like two steps, right? Grace sets up a people, lifts them up out of slavery, makes a people, flows out of the promises of God. The blessings of grace then pursue that people. They want to cascade down on you. They want to change your life in, in ways that will honor the Lord and bring you closer to God. And when that happens and you submit to the blessings of God's grace, then God will set you apart. He will identify you with His grace and with the grace giver. See, you go to work, go to school. Do the people in your work and at your school identify you with the grace giver? Do you wear Christian t-shirts all the time, you know? That's what that's all about, by the way. So that people, when you wear Christian t-shirts, people will go, oh, that person must be a Christian. I submit to you, you ought not to have to wear a Christian t-shirt to be known as a Christian, right? When I'm traveling out and about, wherever I see somebody wearing a cross, I'll say, hey, I like your cross. And they'll usually say something, oh, thank you very much, whatever. And I'll say, are you a Christian? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ then, right? Now, if there's a crucifix, then usually that means they're Catholic, or maybe it means they don't know that Jesus didn't stay on the cross, that he rose again on the third day, right? The crucifixion is done, but the Catholics use the cross with the Jesus on it. That's called a crucifix because they think that that is still going on, but it isn't. Jesus came down off the cross, was buried, rose again. Now he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So we use an empty cross. It's different. But the bottom line is I, I can have that conversation with somebody, and they wear crosses. Now, you've got gang members who wear crosses. And profess to be Christians, but they kill people on Saturday, right? Or sell drugs or whatever. So they got people who wear Christian t-shirts because they got them at the Goodwill, but they're not a Christian. So maybe the best way for people to know to whom you belong is for you to be bringing grace into the situation. So here's the math. God, by grace, lifts you up and makes you a people, takes you from where you were to be who he wants you to be, gets the process started. You realize that the blessings of grace are following you, stalking you, trying to get you, trying to bless you. I'm not making that up, right? It was in the text. And then those same blessings of grace flow through you to the world. You start thinking of your money. It's not really your money. It's God's money. Start thinking of your strength. It's not really your strength. It's God's strength. Start thinking of your mind. Not really your mind. God's mind. When God owns all of this, then God can use all of this to do what it is that God wants to do. And by the way, what are we talking about that God is trying to do? He's trying to deliver grace. 
is trying to deliver grace. You should be a grace giver wherever you go. And the predominant way or the most important way to deliver that grace is through telling the gospel what Jesus has done. Now, unfortunately, not everybody is going to want to listen. I get that. We went on our vacation trip, and we got, we're blessed to go to the U.S. Virgin Islands and then to Florida. Went to Florida, U.S. Virgin Islands, Florida, stayed a little bit and came back home. As I was traveling, I told Sherry, I said, well, I'd, I'd like to just use my passport. I don't, know, I don't think they'll stamp it because we're not going out of the country or whatever. It's like to just use my passport. My passport is a unique identifier. It's like a driver's license, but a little bit different, a little bit better. It's about citizenship. You've got to be verified. To whom do you belong? Where are you from? Right? Arden has a real ID driver's license, meaning he can travel certain places using his driver's license that people would normally need a passport to go. And according to, in 2025, they say, if they actually pull it off because they've already backed it off twice, in order to travel, fly to another state in the United States of America, you will have to have a real ID driver's license or a passport, one or the other. Why? Because they want to know that you belong where you belong. I submit to you that if you can leave this place, if you can leave the church, if you can leave the mission, if you can leave the Sunday school class, if you can leave teaching the youth group, if you can leave the pulpit and go out in the world and you can relate to people and there's nothing really different about you and now people aren't wondering, well, you know, is that person being so nice or why is that person sacrificing or why is that person... I understand you don't always have an opportunity to do something magnanimous or something huge, right? You don't always get to pay for somebody's groceries. You don't always get to give a tip at the drive-thru or, or better yet, pay for the person behind you. You don't always get to do those things. And some people do those things who are not Christians. I understand that. But if you have a pattern of doing something with your money, with your time, with your strength, etc., that's a little different, someone who is observing you may begin to wonder, to whom do you belong? That's right. And so, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? And I ask you, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? You do realize, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are from Graceland. That's where you are from. You did not earn it. You didn't get saved because you prayed a prayer, because you committed your life to Christ. That's not why you got saved. You didn't get saved because you repented of your, fall, your evil works. So you should do that. You didn't get saved because of that. You got saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for sins for everybody who will receive it. That means the worst person you know, the person that you can't even stand to be around because they drive you absolutely nuts, they're rude, they're mean, they're, they're foul, that person is just as likely to be saved right now in this moment as you were when you got saved or as anybody else. Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, right? They were all just as likely to be saved as anybody else. All they have to do is recognize there's something missing in them for an eternity with God and accept the something that God is offering and he will lift them up. The truth is, Adolf Hitler is no more wicked a man than I was when I was 24 years old. You say, oh, that's not true. He killed thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. He brainwashed a nation and, and, and supporting people and they, and they tried to take over the world, essentially, and try to eliminate an entire race. That's way worse than you ever were. Now, James 2.10 says... For he who keepeth the whole law, and yet offends in one point, he is guilty of all. Which means if you ever lied, you're just as bad as the guy who fostered a holocaust. Grace. Grace is when we get saved, even though we don't deserve it. 
In fact, grace is when we receive any gift that we don't deserve. Like when I badmouthed my mom on the 24th of December and still got presents the next day. That's grace. It's not mercy. Mercy is when you don't get the punishment you deserve, which we haven't gotten it yet. Even unsaved people haven't gotten it yet. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And what was that? God lifts you up from where you are and puts you in grace land, pursues you with the blessings of grace, blessing you in so many ways. That is if you'll just stop running. Grace lifts the people up and there is an expectation. The blessings of grace pursue the people of grace and grace then sets the people apart and identifies them and they become grace Givers themselves, identified with the grace giver. Notice, this is not about a promise. Until it is. It's not about a promise. Because nobody's promised that they will be saved. The Bible promises that everybody will have a chance. But nobody's promised that they'll be saved. So it's not about a promise until it is. And the promise is... If you will accept the grace of God, the blessings of grace will pursue you and God will set you apart as a people identified with the grace giver. It's not about holiness. That's next week, the holy land. It's not about holiness. I'm not saying to you, you must get everything right. Work diligently. Be careful in order to be pursued by the grace of God. That's pre-Jesus. Now you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, become a Christian, and you will be pursued by the blessings of grace because you live in grace land. That's what James was talking about. So now, if you know you're in sin, weep. Don't laugh it off. Get busy. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Be the person that God has made you to be. And let him set you apart as if you had a passport that says kingdom of God and you're on a journey away from home. Which is the reality. Not just figurative language. And then notice finally... And this goes into our conclusion that grace is the bridge. It is the bridge between the promise and holiness. Already lifted up, they were called to behave a certain way. And holiness builds in us and grows in us as we follow God, do the things that God would have us to do, experience the things that God would have us to experience, surrender to the blessings of grace as God pursues us with them, and develop whole, He develops holiness in us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's no form of holiness. The wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is a form of grace. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, and in that abundant life is holiness. That we'd be more like Him. Living on borrowed time. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That's what He told Adam and Eve. And then instead of them dying, he sacrificed animals and made them clothes and sent them out of the Garden of Eden, protected them from the tree of life. That's grace. The Garden of Eden wasn't really grace land because until they sinned, they didn't not deserve it. You see? You think, well, I want to go to grace land. It's the Garden of Eden where everything is mine and I can take care of it all the way I think I should and I can serve God and everything's going to be fine. That's not Graceland. That's pre-fall. That's before they sinned against God. Then they sinned against God, and God moved them out of the Garden of Eden, out to where work would be hard, out to where suffering would be real, pain in pregnancy, contention in marriage, 
contention between man and man. Martyr could be a thing. Death would actually happen. Listen to me. He moved them out of the Garden of Eden after their sin into Graceland. We live in Graceland today. It's borrowed time. What did they do? What did the Israelites do that saved them from Egypt? That called them out? That made them a people? That brought them into the promised land? What did they do? Did they worship God correctly? Have you read the story of Joseph? The story of Moses? And what goes in between? No. <laughs> no. They didn't. It's grace. You don't got to do it. But to get started in it, you've got to stop running from God and just say, okay, God, I'm yours. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And it means if i got to go through places that I don't want to be, I'm ready to do that. I don't want to run from the blessings of grace. Lift me up and make me one of your people. And the blessings are great. But also sometimes... They're hard. Peter was crucified upside down. Almost all of the disciples died for their faith. Then they're in heaven with God for an eternity. So that's pretty good. I'm asking you today to recognize that we live in Graceland. That God will lift us up if we will allow it. That the blessings of grace pursue the people of grace. And that grace will set us apart as a people for folks to look to because we belong to him. 365 days a year. Not just 11 days at the end of April or May, beginning of May, but 365 days a year. Borrowed time. Living on trespass land where we deserve the punishment that we get. We deserve the suffering that we go through. We deserve hell for an eternity. But because of Jesus, we receive grace. Father, help us recognize this reality and stand out in every crowd, everywhere that we go, everything that we do, that we would be different in the midst of trials and tribulations that we would cease to run and say, okay, God, do whatever it is that you want to do through this. Help us. We were previously not a people, didn't even have access. And yet, by the grace, not by the works that we would do, not through spiritual disciplines or hard work or service, but by your grace, we have been saved. Use us and bless us as your people. In Jesus' name. I also praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a closing hymn. This is our song of invitation, opportunity to make some kind of a decision. I would ask you today, if you are here and you're a Christian, I want you to make this intentional decision in your head for the Lord so leads, and that is that you will stop running from...